Welcome, everybody, to the first edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com and the Rivals Network. If you aren't a subscriber, you should give us a shot if this is your first interaction with us since we've moved over to InsideNDSports.com. We are letting folks sign up for a free trial that lasts until the start of spring. Use the code InsideND to receive that offer. You should be able to find the ad either on our website or either of our Twitter accounts. Hopefully, many of you are familiar with our previous podcasting work and plenty of you are listening to us for the first time as well. Let's sort of start at the top here with some housekeeping. If you're, if you're a little bit lost, we're, we're no longer hosts of the pot of gold podcast as we've left the South Bend Tribune, but we hope this new podcast feels very much similar to that though. We're kind of starting from scratch a little bit. The inside ND sports podcast will have its own feed with its different podcasting platforms that it'll appear on the first one. This episode will start on only on SoundCloud um, so we can create a feed to submit it to places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Um, So please be patient with us as the delay can vary a little bit depending on the different platforms. Um, We'll certainly share links to those as the podcast starts to appear elsewhere. Um, Now let's get to stuff you're actually probably here for. (laughs) I guess, well, maybe it's the bad stuff first because we will need to talk about Notre Dame's 37 to 35 loss to Oklahoma state in the Fiesta bowl. Eric, what was the most shocking part of that performance from Notre Dame in your opinion? For me, um, that there was no counter punch for Oklahoma state's adjustments on either side of the ball. And, and I would add to that, um, maybe not so much of a counter punch, but being aggressive in uh, having Buckner play a series, Tyler Buckner playing a series or two at quarterback to test Oklahoma's defense and to challenge some of the counter moves that they were making. I'd say those singularly were the, or double orderly, let's make that a word, <laughs> were the uh, um, most shocking things. And before we, go back to your answer too. I wanted to let the people know if you're listening to this for the first time, this is generally a guest driven podcast. We decided to go without a guest this first one to get ourselves up and running and into the systems. Uh, but, but it generally we'll have a guest during this segment, but Tyler's just going to have to put up with just me as the guest. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not as good of a guest booker as Eric. So the best guest I could get was Eric. Um, so <laughs> we'll trudge on, we'll trudge on without a guest today, but, uh, Eric, uh, that's something I was really excited about the, the, the quality of guests that he was able to book for us. And that's something that, um, we'll continue with this podcast, uh, as for what I was sort of surprised by from, from Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, I think the fact that the defense was giving up ground to Spencer Sanders, both through the air and on the ground, um, I figured you, you Notre Dame had to figure out a way to limit at least one of those things. And the fact that they couldn't was, was pretty surprising to me. Um, Offensively, it was just sort of how quickly the momentum dissipated in that second half. Um, I know you talked about Tyler Buckner, maybe being a a way to keep that alive, but Notre Dame looked so good on offense in the first half. And for it to sort of just all of a sudden sort of fall apart a couple series here and there. And then it's like, Oh man, we're, 
we're, we're, we're losing now. That's a better name saying. So um, that was, it was, it was pretty uh, shocking to just be sitting in the press box, just kind of seeing it unfold. It's like, wow, this is a disaster. What in the world is going on down there? Um, so uh, lots to, lots to uh, certainly uh, um, glean from, from that performance. What uh, was there anything specifically that stuck out, stuck out to you as the worst decision or the biggest blunder that that Notre Dame had in that game? I, I think it was not playing complimentary football. You know, Notre Dame was able to get away with that for most of a half, where they were pretty one dimensional, throwing the ball, but they were also on the drives that weren't very long, leaving their defense out on the field. And in the second half, that really caught up. They, they were getting gassed, and Notre Dame wasn't putting more points on the board. And so this is kind of the opposite of the way that Notre Dame had been successful most of the season. And I think from a defensive standpoint, they were kind of counting on turnovers too much. Spencer Sanders is a guy. He was an all-big 12 quarterback. But in some of the bigger games, he was a little bit of a turnover machine. And I think they were counting too much on turnovers to give the ball back to the offense. You know, and Notre Dame also counted on being good on defense on third down, and they were. I mean, they were 3 of 14. They held Oklahoma State to 3 of 14, while Notre Dame was 11 of 20. The problem was, in the second half, Oklahoma State rarely got to third down. Right. They were getting first downs on their first, first and second uh, down plays. Um, so I, I think for me, that's, that's where, um, everything kind of fell apart was, uh, the inability to play complimentary football. Yeah. I, 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 the first sort of sign of trouble was, was giving up that touchdown before the end of the first half. That's been a trouble spot for Notre Dame throughout the season. And it seemed to really change things for Oklahoma. Um, I, I'm not sure why Notre Dame couldn't figure out a way to sort of put itself in better positions at the end of first halves um, uh, defensively, but uh, that sort of escaped them once again. Um, and I just thought overall the sort of the inability to adapt was, was not becoming of, of Notre Dame's coaching staff. Um, they looked like geniuses in the first half, but Oklahoma adjusted um, better in the second half by, by a wide margin. And um, Notre Dame didn't seem to have any answers and um, they needed to, to figure something out and nothing, nothing really came through. I mean, they were able to make a last ditch effort um, and put them, put it, put themselves in position for an onside kick, but uh, it just wasn't, um, wasn't quite enough. And, and the defense I, it, credit to them, they were really just able to force a couple turnovers um, to sort of stay in it. And we're, we're, limiting Oklahoma state to field goals, but um, the damage was sort of done at that point. So we've, we've sort of glossed past Tyler Buckner a little bit. I, I want to dig in a little bit more. What, when do you think would have been the right time to put Tyler Buckner in the game? I would have said maybe the last series of the first half or maybe a couple series in the third quarter um, just to, and now Oklahoma State was number three in the country in uh, in rush defense, but I still think you have to uh, play some balance in your offense. Notre Dame got away with it 
in the uh, Wisconsin game, largely because they were able to turn Wisconsin and their not so good quarterback over uh, so many times and with a couple pick sixes late in the game. But Tyler Buckner, not only does he have running ability, he opens up the traditional running game. You have to account for him. And so Oklahoma State would have had to play a more honest defense uh, to deal with Tyler Buckner. Um, so, you know, that has been the winning recipe for the whole season. And it seemed odd to, to get away from that completely uh, when it had been working so well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm torn because I, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, yeah, well, clearly they should have done something different because it took too many series. Well, I was saying it during the game. You just couldn't hear me. <laughs> yeah, I could not. You should you should have called me. Um, I, I uh, because just because, uh, like like you said that 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 strategy had worked for them throughout the season, but also je- what they were doing in the first half was working for them perfectly fine too. Um, so I think it, it was hard to sort of pull Jack Cohn out of the game after like one three and out. Um, and not give him a, a chance to go back out there because he had played well enough in the first half to sort of work his way. Well, that. well I'll, I'll argue argue with that in that it's it has never been, or at least when they got into a rhythm with it, it wasn't a reactive posture. They didn't bring Buckner in in games because Cone was struggling uh, other than the first time that they did it against Virginia Tech. Um, after After that point, it was a proactive move, and that's what – I actually tweeted during the game. Uh, I think they needed to be proactive with that. And and the thing about it is Cone has adapted to that very well. We have seen him come back in after a Buckner possession and be super sharp. So for me, it's a proactive move rather than a reactive move. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing to me is that it would have given the wide receivers a break. And, and Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's coaching staff obviously knew that they they didn't want to rely on guys beyond Braden Lindsay, Kevin Austin Jr., and uh, Lorenzo Styles, um, and so putting Buckner in the game would have sort of lightened those guys' workload a little bit in terms of what they were trying to do when Jack Cone was out there. So if if I would have if I, if I'm in the coaching staff's shoes and I know that hey we're just going to lean on these three wide right receivers, then maybe I I. I'm like, yeah, we need to we need to find different ways to get other guys involved in this offense and not have to because they're not going to be able to go go four quarters at this pace. Um, and, and Oklahoma State was obviously making a comeback. And so it seemed clear that the, the game was going to be played for a full four quarters. They weren't going to be able to blow Oklahoma State out at that point. Um, so I, I think both that and what you said about Cone's ability to adapt to playing after Buckner comes in, I think he's shown that he's, he's able to do that. So I don't know that it would have necessarily messed up his mojo or he would have taken offense to it. I think he's, he's been, he's gotten so used to that and has shown himself to be pretty good at that. So I, I see, I understand the merit of the argument. Um, and I, I think it's probably, it probably would have been the right decision, but I, 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 I can understand how it so quickly got away from Notre Dame um, the way it did. Um, and I, to be frank, I think the way the game played out is more the defense's fault than the offense's fault, but it's easier to sort of second guess the, the offense rather than the defense. 
Um, lastly, before we shift into questions from the, our new readers and listeners, um, what, what do you think this, this means in the big picture for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman? Well, as I wrote after the game, I think Marcus is going to be defined more by the aftermath of that game than the actual game. And that would have been the case even if Notre Dame had won. What he was able to learn from that and what he was able to apply to the offseason and to next year, I think, is going to be much more important. Um, I'm grading the coaching staff a little bit on a curve in that game because there was such an investment, particularly from Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman, in holding together the recruiting class that really took them into the middle of December um, before they could really turn their attention to bowl prep and trying to figure out roles for the bowl game and that kind of stuff. Um, I also think some of the lessons learned uh, are that it, it appears Notre Dame has ended their hiring freeze. I don't know that that's uh, for sure at this point, but uh, uh, they need to load up with analysts um, in, in support roles. And, and there's already been the hiring, although it hasn't been made official yet of Jim Laurinaitis, uh, former All-American, multi-year All-American at Ohio State University, a good friend of Marcus Freeman's and a teammate of Marcus's at Ohio State. And I think you need more, more people like that, including some older coaches um, that have a lot of experience, I think, on both sides of the ball. Um, I think that this will also help Marcus define his role as a head coach is he more of a CEO now is he going to have his hands in the defense with the new defensive coordinator are they going to be co-conspirators you know how's he going to split his time this will help inform that decision and then from a pure X's and O's standpoint there needs to be better cornerback development you know when you think about the fact that Notre Dame tied the school record with 41 sacks the cornerbacks um, are going to be exposed against really good offenses, and they did not face, you know, great offenses in November. They did. They faced a couple, you know, pretty good offenses in USC and North Carolina, certainly in October, and survived that. And uh, Cincinnati was a pretty good offense. Purdue was a pretty good offense. But they had Kyle Hamilton for those early games and they won't have him again. So the cornerback development for me is a big emphasis for the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think that is important. I, I do give the cornerback development a little bit of a break because they take Ramon Henderson away from the cornerback position, um, and that would have been an obvious answer for, for depth at the cornerback spot because they needed help at the safety position. So I think the lack of safety depth has sort of eaten into the cornerback. Sure. Um and uh, so it's the defensive back depth as a whole certainly needs to get better. Um, I think, I think the game, I, I, like, like you said, I don't I, like how Marcus Freeman responds to this is probably more important than exactly what was learned during that game. Um, but I think it was a good reminder that it takes more to win games than being a person that everyone likes. I think uh everyone can sort of fall in love with how Marcus Freeman presents himself and, and the, the energy that he's creating in the program. But 
that doesn't necessarily always win games on, on Saturdays. Um, and so there are other things that Notre Dame has to come through with um, to make sure that they can win games. The, the, the scheme and the game plan matters. And you have to be ready to counter. So that's sort of what we got to. Like you talked a little bit about they sacrificed some preparation time to, to, to spend on recruiting. But they did prepare enough to come out with a good plan at the start of the game. Sure. <laughs> just didn't, they just didn't have enough backup plans, I guess. And I don't know exactly what that looks like or how that doesn't, why that doesn't work. And, and to your analyst point, I think some of those guys that they had relied on as analysts, even this season have since left Notre Dame before the bowl game. So maybe that played a role in some way as well. Um, for instance, like Kerry cooks, he's already, he already headed down to LSU with Brian Kelly, um, who was a defensive analyst and um, even Mike McCray uh, is a defensive analyst as well. Um, he's at UMass now, I believe. Yeah, Nick Lazinski got pulled into being the special teams coach and the linebackers coach. So you you lost some of those important things. Now, Oklahoma State had a big loss with their defensive coordinator gone too, and I think that showed in the first half. Right, yeah, but they had they had enough guys in place that had been around there that were able to come up with a game plan. And I, sort of going into the game, Mike Gundy's like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just figure it out with these three guys. They'll all call plays. I was like, what are, what are they doing? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then the way the first half goes, it's like, man, Mike Gundy, what was he thinking? And then all of a sudden, oh, they, they, they got him right where they want him. So that was just a bizarre way how the game, how the game uh, played out. But I think it sort of puts a sharper focus on – on those things as Marcus Freeman and the staff head into the off season and what to, what to prioritize in putting together this, this, this new staff that will be working for him in 2022. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the insider lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at E Hansen ND. First question is from chick Irish from the message board. And there are, a couple of questions. What's the latest on how the hunt for assistant coaches is going? If it's he stand, how excited are you guys given that how his tenure ended and what are the top three things that Notre Dame needs to do to get better going forward? So let's start with the assistant coaches. Cause that's a, that's a topic of its own. Okay. Well, let's start with the two that they're closing in on. They're closest to Brian Mason becoming the special teams coordinator. Um, it was my understanding from a very good source that he and his wife will be on campus on Wednesday and then that that deal could get closed that day. Now, remember, the university's not going to make an announcement right after that, but we certainly could get the news that the deal has been closed. So that that could be very close to happening. I think the Harry Heastan thing's close to be happening, too. There were some... I think there's a want to on both sides, but there were some logistical hurdles that needed to be uh, met. And I think those are going to be overwhelmed by the fact that both sides want to make this happen. So barring a huge U-turn in either of those situations, I think we'll see something happen here very soon. With the defensive coordinator, they're looking at a lot of veteran guys, um, a handful of veteran guys, I should say. Uh, John Haycock from Iowa State is one of them. That's a consistent name that we've heard from the beginning, but there's some others that fall into that category. Um, and I think that that process is going to happen after the he stand in the Mason. And then I think the last one will be wide receivers coach. 
And I think they're looking at wide receivers and running backs coach candidates to get the very best coach they can. There's a chance that uh, Lance Taylor, who has coached wide receivers before, could toggle over to wide receiver if it meant getting a better overall fit, better overall recruiter and teacher at running back than what they could get as a wide receiver coach. So they've kind of left themselves open there. I think that'll be the fourth one that gets done. Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed that. And a couple of the other defensive coordinator guys that you mentioned in your reporting um, were Cincinnati Bengals linebackers coach Al Golden, who I think college football fans are probably pretty familiar with. is a former head coach. Um, and, and Jacksonville Jaguars safety coach Chris Chris Ash. Um, <laughs> Got to be careful. Watch yourself with, with that one. Got to be careful with saying that. Um, the re, the receiver one is the one that I I've heard the least about. Um, beyond you heard Hartline's name brought up, right? Brian Hartline and that one. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just a skeptic that it would happen more than anything. Uh, it just seems like it would be hard to make that happen. I mean, how could it be a better situation than what the wide receiver situation is at, at Ohio State? But Right, and he's the Ohio State wide receivers coach and an Ohio State alum, also uh, familiar with uh, former teammate of Marcus's. And so I, I, I think I'm curious to see how that plays out. I, I my hunch is that it will be a wide receivers coach and not a running backs coach, but um, I, I'm not sure that, that how far down the process they are with that um, to, to, to have a ton of confidence in that either way. Um, in terms of the he stand hire, how excited are we? I, I think he stand will do a good job. He's not the, he's not the kind of person to take a job if he's not fully invested in it. That's uh, sort of my understanding and appreciation of Harry. He stand, I, I would say. Um, I, I know recruiting has been a topic of, well, is that a concern? I think, I mean, when we were talking about this past, this past season's offensive line, some of the shortcomings were in part to do with what Harry Heastan left in terms of like his last recruiting class. I don't think his last recruiting class was great. Um, and that was, I'm not sure exactly how that happened, um, whether it was just bad evaluations or um, how that played out. Um, well, I, there was some luck there too. I mean, Cole Mabry got hurt. Although yeah, I don't and, know that he I was mean, on trajectory. To be frank, I, I was never very impressed with Cole Mabry as a recruit. I didn't think that he was going to be a great player, but I certainly have been wrong too. So that doesn't mean that doesn't mean right. he wouldn't have been a good player. But um, I think, uh, and I mean, he's recruited well at Notre Dame before, and I think right this when Notre Dame was hiring Jeff Quinn, and we were talking about, well, will he be able to recruit at this level? Um, and I was like, I t my stance is that the offensive line at Notre Dame recruits, as long as you're willing to give the time and energy to it, you don't have to, it, you don't have to be a killer recruiter to get good recruits to come to Notre Dame to play offensive line. And especially here, he stand with the track record that he has. I mean, he doesn't have to be out there um, sucking up to high school kids and sending them text messages 20 times a day um, to get them to come to Notre Dame. That's, that's, that's not who he is. He's not going to be someone he's not. Um, so I, I don't, I don't see that as, as ne necessarily an issue, um, for Notre Dame moving forward. If Harry, he stands the offensive line coach. I am excited about the move. I think this is a big difference maker move. Um, and as far as the recruiting, you know, I've, um, been talking to some people 
that I appreciate their offensive line expertise. One uh, person that I've, uh, you know, quoted or will be quoting is Quentin Nelson's dad, Craig. And, you know, he said, Harry doesn't like recruiting, but that doesn't mean he's not good at it. Uh, I think that his reputation will pull players in. And I think, you know, Tommy Reese is going to have to go and do some of the grunt work. And I think he's willing to do that to get a guy the caliber of Harry Heastan because the way he teaches, I mean, we're talking, I think he's the best offensive line coach in the country, but he's certainly in the top five, even if you want to argue. And to get that caliber, it's worth the combination of Reese doing a little bit more grunt work with the linemen. And, and he did with Billy Shroud, for example. Right. Um, Tom, and, Tommy, Reese loves, Tommy Reese loves offensive linemen. He, I don't think he'll have an issue with that. He, right. I mean, one of his best friends is Zach Martin. <laughs> so, um, you know, and he's so uh, – and then when they visit campus, I mean, Harry will watch film with them. And that's what – where Quentin Nelson spent, you know, time watching film with Harry – his office and he got in the car and they're driving down the road back to New Jersey, Craig and, and Quentin. And he goes, dad, I want to commit there. And they, you know, called and said, you know, we're committing a five-star guy from New Jersey who Diaco had Bob Diaco had almost dropped the ball with as the regional uh, recruiter. So um, I think it'll all turn out fine from a recruiting standpoint. And I think it's a significant hire. Yeah, and the, the recruiting staff is a little bit different now. Like, they have an offensive director of recruiting, that was Stray Brown, this past season. And he helped coordinate a lot of these conversations and make sure things are set up so Harry Heastan's not, like, missing phone calls from kids. They're like, uh, they, they will have staff members that can help facilitate all that. And the, the more that has been a, a, something that Marcus Freeman helped, sort of helped inspire in, in Notre Dame's coaching and recruiting staff this past season – um, and I, I'm interested to see how that continues to develop this offseason as well. So I think uh, um, Harry Heastan will be put in a position to succeed um, if he is hired, as we believe that will likely be the case. And then the last one from Chick Irish was also, uh, what are the top three things that Notre Dame needs to do better going forward? So lots of good questions from Chick Irish. Okay, I would say um... – and we're taking this out of the new coaching realm, and this is overall what they need to do. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I put – I, in my mind, it's the ability to be more balanced on offense. You know, that doesn't mean they have to be balanced in every game, but you need to be able to do both and more dynamic in offense. You need to have big play potential, and some of that is tied into recruiting. Um, secondary play needs to get better. Um, they need to have better personnel. They have to be deeper at those positions. Again, if Isaiah Foskey doesn't come back, they're not going to get 41 sacks next year. Uh, if he does, that's going to help the secondary, but they still have to be able to stand on their own. So I think better secondary play. And then uh, they need to evolve in the front seven. You know, one of the things, the beauties of Marcus's defense, Marcus Freeman's defense, and whoever he brings in to run it is that as you 
learn it better and you're together as a group like Oklahoma State's front seven was, you can do more things up front with your pressures and things like that without leaving gaps, without taking risks. And that's what makes Oklahoma State so good. They have no four-star players on their defense, zero. And and they're but playing together um, and developing those guys, they've done a really good job. Notre Dame will be better athletically next year. I even came up with a bonus one. Continue to recruit um, at difference maker positions, and that includes quarterback. You know, as as well as the tag team work this year, Notre Dame was 33rd in the nation in pass efficiency. That number has to be top 20 and ideally top 10. The teams that get to the playoff and win playoff games are in the top 10 in passing efficiency. Yeah, to me, that's number one, better quarterback recruiting, which leads to better quarterback play. This has been the case for the for a long time. Um, we'll see if Tyler Buckner is that guy, um, and we'll see what Notre Dame could do in the 2023 class um, as they're chasing after some of the top quarterbacks in that class. Um, number two is recruiting related as they'll recruit better defensive backs, something we touched on earlier. Uh, the 2022 class was a good start at cornerback, um, but not as much so at safety. Um, and Notre Dame needs to do better at both positions consistently and not have one good cornerback class every three years or one great safety like Kyle Hamilton every seven years. Um, so I think there needs to be more consistency in defensive back recruiting um, because that is somewhere that you just have to be, you have to be sound and have to have the athletes because you can get embarrassed uh, on the national stage if you don't have competent defensive backs. And even if you do, some of the skill talent out of those offenses there's only so much you can do, but Notre Dame needs to have, have better talent on the back end of its defense. And then the three is don't let a program strength like the offensive line become a weak point. Um, it, it throws everything off. That's how Notre Dame season was sort of almost, almost lost. Um, they almost lost a potentially good season because the offensive line was so out of whack to start the year um, and sort of threw off sort of the offensive game plan and what the identity of this offense is. Um, and it, their name just couldn't adapt to that because it's, it, it is reliant. This program is reliant on the offensive line being a strength. And I think at this point, the defensive line is, is the same thing too. Um, their name's defense would crumble if the defensive line had a, had a bad season. I don't, I don't know what <laughs> we're talking about the deficiencies in the secondary um, if, if it doesn't have a good defensive line that's tying this program record in sacks, the defense could have been a sieve this past year. So um, I think those are the three things um, that I think are really important in terms of continuing to evolve this program to be a national title contender. Next question is from at ND Bay from the message board. How do you feel your transition to rivals is going? Would, you, would a hire of a big-time receivers coach drastically improve recruiting on the position? Do you believe hiring a more defensive coordinator is a necessity? Okay, let's take these one at a time. <laughs> um, I, I'm really enjoying being part of the Rivals Network. I mean, it's just we haven't been even been in in a week, although we were in negotiations for a long time. Uh, but it's – we're – drinking through a fire hose right now, learning all the 
technical aspects of running the website, getting to know people in the Rivals Network and being able to leverage that more for our coverage. And, and uh, uh, so I, I'm really enjoying it. The, the one thing I'll also tell you is, um, I think we mentioned this a lot, but we're in the process of searching for and hiring a full-time recruiting writer. And we're really excited about um, what that's gonna bring to the site. And I think you'll be excited as well. And, and as we continue to grow, we'll continue to add things. Um, and so for me, the best is yet to come. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the transition, I would say, is both exciting and exhausting at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not a slow time in terms of news, which is good because we have things to write and talk about, but it's uh, a learning curve with trying to work our way through the processes of running a message board and using a new system and starting things from scratch like this podcast. I had to figure out, okay, how do we get a feed started? How do we, how do we do all these things that we've already done before and didn't have to rely on doing? Um, and we were pretty dedicated to the South Bend Tribune before we made that transition. So we didn't, we didn't, we weren't able to spend a lot of time, especially sort of, I mean, when Brian Kelly left that through descent, like we would have spent so much more time in December having things maybe a little bit more ironed out than what we had them, um, going into this month, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Um, we're going to put our best foot forward and keep, uh, um, reporting and, and making improvements. And like you said, working to find a recruiting reporter get that person in place. Um, but I think we're doing and we'll continue to do good work. The, the next question from Andy Bay was, would a hire of a big-time receivers coach drastically improve recruiting at the position? I do think that that's, um, that's true. Uh, I think that's what Notre Dame needs. I, I think, you know, when you look at Dell, and we've had um, – people on the podcast, we've had former receivers on the podcast. Um, Miles, you know, we have Miles Boykin on and he raved about um, Dell's ability to develop him. But when you look at recruiting wide receivers and you look at retaining wide receivers, you know, Dell Alexander fell short. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it is going to be an important hire for Notre Dame. And the, that's probably a position where you can lean more toward the recruit. If you have to make a choice between elite recruiter and elite teacher, you could lead, lean toward elite recruiter, obviously like somebody that can do both. Yeah, I think stability at their wide receiver coach position will help. Um, I think Dell Alexander wasn't exactly helped by his sort of tenuous situation. I think there was always maybe doubts that, okay, is he, is he going to be back next season? Um, I, I can't imagine that helps him in the, in the, down the stretch trying to close and, and hold on to CJ Williams and Amari and Walker. Um, I also believe that Tommy Reese and his quarterbacks matter a lot in this too. They have to have a belief that this is an offense that they can have success in, um, that there will be quarterbacks that can get, get them the ball um, consistently. Um, and so I, I think, it's not just on the wide receivers coach to improve that um, in recruiting, but I think uh, there certainly could be a very dynamic recruiter um, at that position that could really uh, improve. Dell Alexander did get some good guys. I mean, his freshman class right now, I think is really good with Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas. 
Um, it's just unfortunate that he won't be able to see that through um, sort of because a, a lot to do with the, some of the guys that he wasn't able to keep in the program um, and, and develop um, before the season. And then last, the last one from Andy Bay was, do you believe hiring a more experienced defensive coordinator is a necessity? I do. Yeah. Um, I think that you need a, a dynamic of ascending, rising coaching stars on your team, and you also need proven commodities. And I think a um, experienced defensive coordinator is a guy, you know, it, the right one. I mean, just because he has experience doesn't mean he's good, but the, the names that we threw out there earlier in the podcast, including uh, John Haycock and Al Golden, that group, um, they're the kind that can do the counter punches in the big games. Uh, they're, they're the ones that have seen that before and, um, you know, can collaborate. And so absolutely, I think, a experience. And that's nobody that I've seen emerge as a candidate is an inexperienced defensive coordinator. I mean, it would have been, you know, you could have, and, and I think Mike Elston could grow into the position. Um, I, I think that Marcus doesn't want to take that chance and uh, that's not a knock on Mike Elston. Mike Elston is a super valuable coach in what he does. And he's still going to bring a lot to the table in meetings and on game days with his input without being the defensive coordinator. Yeah, the experience is definitely a priority. I think I think one place to be careful with that, I think it's someone that knows a lot, but not someone that's stuck in their ways. Like Ryan Van Gorder was an experienced defensive coordinator, yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't able to, to, to make that work. Uh, that person needs to be flexible, adapt to the players um, and what Marcus Freeman wants. Um, so experience matters a lot, but there, that experience – needs to be in a person who knows how to sort of adapt um, and sort of sort of what Marcus Freeman talked about last month. Uh, like it's, we need to put it on the defensive coordinator to adjust rather than getting the kids to adjust in terms of like terminology and stuff like that. It should be the defensive coordinator is the one that's getting paid to, to make the, make it work for these, these players. And we need to find someone that can do that. Next question is from Twitter at Mike Devoy one. Will filling the defensive coordinator position take precedence over scouring the transfer portal for defensive backs and safety candidates? Same for the wide receiver position coach and potential wide receiver candidates. And any insights on Joe Wilkins Jr. returning? We could use both him and Avery Davis back. Okay, let's do the coaching question first, and then we'll do the Joe Wilkins one. Um, I mean, you can do both, but you want me to pick one or the other. Uh, so I will humor you on that. And I will say the coaches are more important because they're going to be the long-term of this program. They're going to be the ones that are helping discern who's good in the portal and who's good on the recruiting trail and find not only the five stars and lure them, but uh, find the overlooked prospects. So I would, I would lean toward that. Um, as far as getting those coaching hires right, then you're going to get the personnel decisions right. And there's a lot of really good players in the portal. So if somebody commits during this week while you're trying to hire a defensive coordinator, there's still going to be other players of that caliber in the portal. Yeah, I think 
I think it's also that there's different, in my opinion, in my understanding, there's different people leading those searches. The recruiting and personnel staff have yeah. gone heavily for the transfer portal scouring, if you will, uh, whether it's Dave Polokland, Bill Reese, Chad Bowden, Dre Brown. Those guys are identifying players and then informing the coaching staff of the potential options. Now, obviously, the coaching staff has to get involved, um, but the, I don't know that they're pouring over things at, at the immediate entry level um, and it's sort of getting filtered to them from the recruiting and personnel staff. And that's sort of how it always works. And I would imagine even more in a situation when uh, Marcus Freeman needs to be um, identifying potential coaching options. Um, and then Joe Wilkins, what, what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on whether or not he will return to Notre Dame? I think, um, but let me say first what I think Joe should do if he asked my opinion. And I think he should come back, especially with him rehabbing an injury. I think, you know, he's familiar with the doctors, the people doing his rehab. And um, I think with Kevin Austin gone, it opens up more of an opportunity for him to have playing time. Um, it's interesting with Wilkins for me because he came in as a cornerback and they moved him right away to wide receiver. Um, and I always wondered kind of how good of a cornerback he would have been. I think it's too late to do that now. Um, <laughs> and they need him more from a number standpoint. That's the thing. I mean, he knows he's going to be in the rotation. If he comes back, he's good enough to be in the rotation. They need him from a number standpoint. Do I think he'll come back? Yeah, I do think with Kevin Austin gone, that's, probably incentive where he could say, you know what, I'm going to play. I'm going to get my opportunities and I'm willing to earn them. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. He has close relationships with a lot of the players who are staying. Um, so I think he, he will be willing to see that through and give it another shot at Notre Dame once he gets healthy. Um, my hunch is that Avery Davis comes back too. I think it makes sense for both of them to come back. Um, now, I don't know that either of them is going to be like the number one receiver necessarily. I mean, that may very well be Lorenzo Styles after the way he played in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but I, I think that those guys are important to have back. And I think um, Notre Dame needs to make that clear to them. Um, and uh, hopefully, hire, hopefully from the player point of view, hire a receivers coach that they're comfortable um, can give them a fair shake. Um, and I, I mean, you're sort of starting from a clean slate. So I think that's a, sort of a good, good, good way to look at it. I mean, sort of if you go transfer somewhere else to clean slate too, but um, why not do it, do that in a place where you're, you're comfortable with, and you know, the people you're around um, and uh, you sort of have the lay of the land. So that that's, that's my hunch, but we'll, we'll see the, the transfer portal stuff can, can be a little bit surprising. Um, but uh, I think uh, that's, that's where I'm leaning that Joe should be leaning. Uh, the next question we have is from at Gipper the Golden. What is more important at this moment in time, getting a phenomenal position coach from a technique perspective or from a recruiting perspective? Does it matter by position? Well, Gipper the Golden, um, I think that's an excellent question. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't think about uh, because, again, obviously you want somebody that's both, but you can't always have that. Um, I think it does vary by position. I think quarterback, offensive line, defensive line definitely are technique-driven positions. I think it's more important that you have great teachers and great developers at those positions. 
and your other coaches can recruit those positions. Um, wide receivers and running backs, I think, in general, they are they are coaches that you're not depending on. In a lot of systems, you're not depending on them to bring it with the X's and O's and the meetings and so forth. Not that there aren't guys that do that, but you really want them doing a lot of your recruiting. You want dynamic personalities more than you want teachers. Now, obviously you want both. And I think right. Notre Dame has had that at times and at other times hasn't, you know, I mean, that shocking thing to me was that Autry Denson wasn't a better recruiter. Right. Um, Tony Alford, I think is a guy that's at Ohio state now that was at Notre Dame before. I think he wants to show that he's an X's and O's guy and has really tried to learn that at Ohio state. But when he was at Notre Dame, he was, he was the dynamic recruiter uh, who they counted on more for that. So those two positions in particular, I think are quote unquote recruiting positions. Yeah. And he's continued to be that dynamic recruiter at Ohio state as well. In terms of like the specific to the positions that are open at Notre Dame, I think offensive line, like you mentioned, technique. I think that's that's first and foremost the position, like especially at Notre Dame. As I said earlier, I think the position sort of recruits itself as long as you you care about it. Um, the defensive coordinator, I think that person, sort of what we talked about with experience, being a teacher. Um, Marcus Freeman can still be a big leader on the recruiting front as it re- as it relates to the defense. Um, wide receiver seems to be one that. I, in this specific instance, whatever you're, whatever the best person is at both, I think is what the ideal candidate is. Cause you need someone who can recruit to make sure that they get more players in here that they need and the type of players that they need. But these next few seasons could be very shaky if Notre Dame isn't maximizing its young receivers on the roster. Um, and so you need to have someone that can, that can develop those receivers as well um, because those, those guys are going to have to play soon. Um, we're talking right about- because even with these seniors coming back, they're going to be gone. Lindsay and those guys are going to be <laughs> right, gone next year. right, right, right. Yeah, and Lorenzo Styles is going to be the oldest receiver on the roster next in twenty twenty three, probably. So, I mean, alongside Colsey and Thomas, but uh, that's that's sort of the situation they're in. Um, so you you need to make sure that someone can continue to develop those guys. I think special teams coordinator. I think recruiting should be a priority there. You're basically on the staff. You're recruiting guys to or on the roster, you're recruiting guys to come play special teams for you and want to play special teams. Uh, so you can, I think you can sort of outsource a lot of the kicking and long snapping and those sort of the knowledge of that and learn as long as you're willing to, because there are experts out there that are willing to sort of help that, um, that aren't necessarily tied to specific schools. So. Um, and Brad Pullian was an excellent recruiter. Yeah, absolutely. Of other positions, not just special teams guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next question is from Christopher Cruz at ChrisND92. Seems like the transfer portal is taking college football off of its rails. Absolutely no stability for any program. Every kid that's in a subpar program or even slightly disgruntled needs to be re-recruited every year. Do you see reform in the near future? No. I think because of some of the lawsuits and the way this player power movement is going, you can't put the – toothpaste back in the tube. I think um, what will happen is there's going to be some self-correction over time, or at least I kind of hope there (laughs) will be, because there's going to be a lot of unhappy endings of kids that went into the portal and come out the other side, and it wasn't 
the grass wasn't greener for them. Um, and there's going to be some players that can't find a home. You know, they're going to be an FBS player and end up having to play a level down. Um, I think the thing that surprised me most about the, this little beginning part of the transfer portal era is it's not just disgruntled players and it's not just um, players maybe at a mid-major looking to move up and play and get an NFL future. It's star players on good teams that are leaving like Caleb Williams at Oklahoma. And he's not just to follow Lincoln Riley to USC. I mean, he's looking at other schools and it's like, my goodness, you're, you know, on a 10 win team, um, 10, 11 win team and, and starting quarterback as a true freshman. And that's not the ideal position, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's tied to a coach leaving. So to me, that's not as surprising. Well, Dylan Gabriel at UCF. I mean, there's some pretty good players, star players. Some are tied to coaches leaving. Some aren't of, of guys. And then we even had a portal flip and Dylan Gabriel was going to start school at UCLA that day. And now it's going to Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just become more like recruiting. I mean, that's, that's what it's like. I mean, there's kids that uh, like they're going to change their minds they're commit usually in transfers like a commitment is like okay it's done but yeah now, now commitment is just like a recruiting commitment that's 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 where they're they're planning to go that doesn't mean they're going to go there. is somebody going to try to poach quinn carroll from minnesota now <laughs> yeah we'll see i mean it might be a little hard when the kid when the kid's going home but i i just think i think it's a change that people are just aren't used to yet um we were so used to the players having so little power that it's it's making people uncomfortable and it is changing sort of the landscape of, of what we understand college football to be and look like. Um, but I think it's going to coach put, it's going to push coaches to be better. Um, I think coaches were probably too frequently getting away with guys being stuck in bad situations um, and not having a way to get out of the situation because they maybe weren't being given a good shake and, and the coach could, could put a kid through something that, probably wasn't fair to the kid always. And, and uh, so I, I just think the coaches are being paid so much money um, <laughs> that they have sort of put themselves in this position uh, with all the coaching instability that has sort of happened in this sport as well. So I think there probably could be a little bit more regulation. I'm not sure that I've heard any good, good ideas of what that would look like. Um, but I think what, what you started with is a big, I think, and maybe, maybe I'm in the same boat in terms of wishful thinking, I think players are going to start to learn that the wrong transfer can actually make your career worse too. It's not, it's not always, this is going to work out for me and there's going to be a better opportunity for me somewhere else. Um, and that will sort of be a part of the evolution of this transfer transfer portal era. It, it's also interesting. The fact that most sports didn't have the one year sit out period. It was, you know, men's and women's, uh, basketball and hockey and football, I believe were the only ones I might be missing one, but like lacrosse, you could go tennis, you could go and you didn't see as much player movement, but there's also the dream of playing in the NFL and the NBA, which I think kind of drives the player movement at these revenue sports. Absolutely. The next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl, our bunch of numbers. What positions do you think? Notre Dame will explore in the transfer portal. 
Well, Cheryl, we need to get some insight into what those bunch of numbers are. <laughs> um, well, I can I tell think, you them. I just don't want to say them. <laughs> okay. I think uh, certainly safety. I would look at a cornerback. That doesn't mean you necessarily take one. I mean, there's lots of cornerbacks on the roster. Um, are any of those guys ready to step up and be part of your depth and that you can trust next year? Do you need a cornerback, another cornerback? What if Hart, and we don't even know if Bracey's coming back for sure, especially if Bracey doesn't come back, they need a cornerback. Wide receiver, I think just simply because of numbers, you need at least to look at one. Unless you can find um, so, uh, one or two good February signees, and I know Notre Dame is looking at that avenue, maybe a running back um, just for another body, uh, maybe a defensive end if Isaiah Foskey goes and you don't have confidence that somebody else is ready to take that uh, role. I mean, Jordan Batello could be that guy. And, and the tricky one, and I think there's some other questions about this further down, so I won't get into too much detail, is quarterback. I, I think you have to look at that not for a potential starter, but for potential depth. The problem is there aren't a ton of guys out there that just want to play at Notre Dame so they can be part of the depth. But, um, but I'm sure that those guys exist. Uh, there's just not going to be – a lot of them. I, I think that uh, Tyler Buckner is your quarterback of the future. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with everything you mentioned there. I, Except? Defensive end wasn't one that I had necessarily given much consideration to. Um, the, the one position that I haven't heard anything on, but maybe a new special teams coordinator might be interested in that the punter and kicker next year are going to be really young guys who, with Bryce McPherson coming in as a, as a true freshman, um, as the punter. And and uh, having a freshman kicker taking over from Jonathan Doerr, well, he'll be a Josh Bryan. Josh Bryan, um, and so maybe maybe there's maybe there's some interest in bringing a, a, an experienced player in at one of those positions. Now that would be maybe a luxury and maybe something you figure out somewhere down the line. I don't know that that's a priority, but that's something that struck me just sort of looking at the depth chart is like maybe maybe they could use an experienced kicker of some sort. And they have in the past brought on brought on some like grad transfer like guys from even like Ivy schools um, that haven't been pushed into play, um, but um, maybe maybe there's a higher profile sort of guy that they, there may be some interest in there. I, I don't know. That's just a, that's a wild card. That's not something I'm expecting, but maybe something worth considering. But safety, receiver, corner, and quarterback those are the those are the four that I think are the, are um, pretty high on the priority list there for the transfer portal. Speaking of safety transfer portals, question from Steve at Groover SM. What's your crystal ball about the safety from Northwestern? I think there's, I think Notre Dame has a shot at him. And, and normally I wouldn't say that with an underclassman, but there's a match there. Um, not just because he went to Northwestern. When he was coming out of high school and he's from College Station, Texas, he had 22 offers. Six of them for, were from Ivy League schools. Vanderbilt and Rice were two of the others. So there's no question if he was doing what he was supposed to be doing at Northwestern that they can get the credits to transfer. And, and that's what's going to be the hang-up with some underclass 
transfer portal guys. This was a guy that was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. Notre Dame did not offer him, so there's not a, a prior relationship there. Uh, but I think they have they have a good shot um, to get in to get involved and maybe reel that one in. Three-star guy that turned into an All-American consensus All-American at Northwestern in 2020. He's a two-time All-Big Ten pick, and he's a redshirt sophomore. And his name is Brandon Joseph. I don't know that we've said we said it. Oh yeah, did I not say Brandon Joseph? I'm not sure if you did or not. The question the okay. question asker didn't either, so I wanted to make sure that we threw it in there. Okay, Brandon Joseph. I I don't I don't know that I have a great sense yet of what he's looking for. I mean, obviously academics were pretty important for him as a high school recruit. Does that change once you've been in college for a couple of years and you feel like, hey, I'm an All American now, maybe I can go try out things in the SEC or something like that? And being from College Station, is there a poll from AM or does he like say, hey, AM didn't want me to begin with? Yeah, they didn't want him out of high school. Yeah, why should I go there now? So I, I, I can't speak to that yet. I'm not at a point where I have, have insight to Brandon Joseph's sort of point of view. Um, but he's definitely what Notre Dame is looking for um, if they can make that undergraduate transfer work. So um, that was as soon as I saw that, I was like, man, this is a guy that you got to hope is, has some interest in Notre Dame and Notre Dame can make it work because that would be sort of the ideal transfer candidate for Notre Dame this offseason. Next question is from at Robinson Matt five. You guys got something teed up to replace the that's a great question. Eric Hansen soundbite from Brian Kelly yet. Also, I need to place your bet for the number of inbound transfers at three and a half. Yeah, we've we're going to have to redo our opening with no Brian Kelly in it. You think um, what, although what what if I just voiced all the all the all the clips that we previously used that it, I, I Brian Kelly <laughs> would, you just, sing, would you sing the Ian Williams <laughs> the Ian Williams singing part? Yeah, yeah, I'll do Ian Williams singing and Mike Tirico talking and Tom Zubikowski talking about if you hit him in the mouth or whatever. <laughs> we we could use the quote from Brian Kelly from tonight's Texas Bowl game where he told the announcers he was in the booth with them that. Uh, the reason he got the accent wrong was because people from Boston don't have accents. You never heard a pack the cat. <laughs> Actually, Brian doesn't have a Boston accent. So except when he uh, says Virginia, except when he says Virginia, <laughs> um, but we'll have a new opening. And uh, the one thing, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to have guests. This is a guest driven show. And we like to have that part of that. Now, these questions and the place your bets, Obviously, this is somebody that's listened to the show before, but for the people that are new, uh, we'll always do questions. And uh, so, and then his question was, I love this, the place your bets 3.5. That is the perfect number because I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to get that half a transfer, you know, because sometimes that's happened to them before where they get a half a player in the transfer portal. Notre Dame, other than Cody Riggs, er, kind of early on with that, was was especially with the grad transfers kind of suffering with that but uh i think it'll be three i think it's going to be under and i think some of the reason is there's some players coming back that i was a little surprised by at, at least what i when i was calculating earlier in the season like josh lug when he got hurt i think that made him coming back seem like george takis was a guy that i wasn't sure with all the tight ends already on the roster and bringing two in, I wasn't sure that they were going to want to um, 
bring him back. And then uh, Houston Griffith, I, I thought might want to move on and, and he's back. So that's three roster spots. That's three fewer grad transfers that you, and, and not that you would look for a grad transfer at tackle or tight end, but those are, you know, counting towards your 85. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the Joshua Lug ones balanced out. You, Quinn Carroll transferred. So that, that, that sort of evens out there. And maybe there's another. I thought he would transfer. I'm maybe. not sure that they're done with offensive linemen transferring either. Right. I mean, yeah, especially at the positions that have new position coaches, maybe there's chances that those, those positions have, have shakeups um, in terms of transfers. Um, I think uh, I, I'm going to go over the three and a half. I think, I think they can get to four. Um, I, uh, I just, I just don't think scholarship availability is going to be a problem. I think that's why Notre Dame has been willing to commit to 50 years for the guys like uh, George Takis because they um, are confident that they won't be in a, in a necessarily tight squeeze here at the end of the, uh, of the summer going into to fall camp. So it's just a matter of finding the right guys. You, know, you're not, you don't always find the right fit at every one of those positions that we've listed. So um, in terms of the podcast, we appreciate, I appreciate the questions from Robinson, Matt, because he's definitely a, a listener, a lot of inside jokes, the place your bets for anyone who hasn't listened before is, uh, I typically come up with some different prop bets. Um, I didn't today because we had so many questions that I wanted to answer from, from you guys, but, um, and so that's, that's what that's about. But, uh, so you can, I'm, I'm our, uh, imaginary uh, bookie um, and there's no, there's no actual stakes except for making fun of the two of us. Um, so we will have that in the future though. Next question is from pork chop express at Utah. Give me two underscore odds of Notre Dame going after a veteran QB in the transfer portal. Also, what effect would that have on Tyler Bucker? Well, again, I mentioned this earlier and I wanted to get into it more depth when we got to this question. I think Notre Dame has to at least peruse it. And because you could have an injury, a long-term injury in the spring. And then, you know, we don't know if Ron Paulus health is ever going to turn around. We never saw him in a practice or in a game or even in uniform, I think for the whole time he's been here so far. Um, and even then, he's not a guy that projects as a future starter. And that that's not on him. I, I mean, that's not a knock against him. That's, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, going to have to work his way up uh, once he's healthy. And now he's missed a complete year. But I just don't think you can go into the season with three quarterbacks and not be looking in the portal. You need to be looking there now and be looking for a fit. As far as bringing somebody in, I mean, unless you're going to bring in Caleb Williams, um, and I'm not saying that that's a possibility. I know that people have speculated about that, but I don't think he's coming to Notre Dame. Um, it's not going to affect Tyler Buckner. I think the person, I don't think it'll affect Steve Angeli either. I mean, Steve, was open to there being another high school quarterback, even a five-star Walker Howard, when Notre Dame was trying to flip him from LSU. He was open to that and competing. He was okay with that. I think the guy it'll affect is Drew Pine. If you're bringing in a quarterback for depth, is Drew Pine still competing for the starting job? Is he number two or is he number three? And if he's number three, he might say, hmm, 
I think I'm good enough to start at a program somewhere. And so you got to be really careful with it. And, uh, you know, Tommy Reese seems to feel like he has, you know, I, I talked to him about the whole dynamic of the transfer portal with quarterbacks. And he said, you really need to have a great culture in your room where everybody's rooting for each other. But they also look at the internet and see all these quarterbacks moving around. And so it's tempting. So I think Drew Pine is the person that it would affect more than Tyler Buckner. The other th person it might affect, it, especially if you brought in a starter and somebody that's an underclass starter, is the 2023 quarterbacks. Because I think they look at this as a great position where they can come in the door and compete. And Notre Dame is looking at elite guys in that 23 class. They have um, Jackson Arnold. They have Dante Moore, Chris, Christian Vizina. And I'm going to get Nico's name right. Nico, I am Alavea um, is the other quarterback. And they are all, you know, top 100 caliber quarterbacks. And a couple of them could end up five-star. And so they're really aiming high in that class. I think you could affect those, you know, those guys if you brought in an underclassman that was going to be a multi-year starter. Yeah, I mean, my belief is that if Notre Dame brings someone in, it, it would either be like a guy that they think can start and like they think, hey, he's better than Tyler Bucker. We'll bring him in. Like if it is, say, Caleb Williams, I think that is a, a long shot of long shots. I don't know that Notre Dame wasn't really a player in his recruitment to begin with um as a high school player uh so that would be sort of a bit of a reversal to get involved in some way to be able to bring him to South Bend um but so it has to be someone like that and whether that like Keaton Slovis if that's a guy that think hey you're, he's going to come in and he's probably going to be better than Tyler Buckner next year um if that's if that would have worked out that way then maybe that was a risk they were willing to take um so it's either going to be someone like that or it's going to be a veteran quarterback um that isn't gonna isn't gonna necessarily beat out Tyler Bucker and might not even beat out Drew Pine as the backup. He could be the third string guy um, that is just there in case of emergency and wants to be at Notre Dame. Has there is value in that for him? Um, maybe has really wants to get a graduate degree from Notre Dame. Um, that that is that's the most likely scenario that plays out. I, I think the. The Caleb Williams, Keaton Slovis stuff. I think that was always probably a slim chance, and I don't know that it was a great, great priority um, because I think Tommy Reese has has faith in Tyler Buckner, and that's someone that he put sort of his his chips on as a high school recruit, um, and now has a chance to prove that he made the right choice. The thing about the portal is you need to kind of pounce on guys and gauge their interest before you know whether you're interested. Right. Otherwise, you don't have a chance. A, a case in point was Nick McLeod when they got him for the 2020 season. They talked to him in January. Now, they weren't sure they were going to want to make a move on him, but they wanted to have a relationship with him. And then they kind of said, well, we're going to wait to go through spring and see how our young cornerbacks do. And guess what? There was one spring practice. Right. And, and then and they also wanted to monitor Nick's health. He had had a knee injury. He healed from that good. Suddenly, that was a great match. They brought him in and let him compete, and he ended up being a starter. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the whole the whole process is it's a game of making sure that people know are aware of you, and then then at some point having to push the chips forward of whether or not you want to pursue that person or not. Um, the communication is probably going to be there 
with a lot of guys immediately just to, to gauge interest and see if there's a potential fit, um, what that looks like, what that person is looking for in a potential transfer, and then sort of going from there. Next question is from Fine Wine Time at Whining Ben. Is Tommy Reese the best person for the job of getting the best out of our quarterback? It seems like he's not sure with continually looking to the portal. And do you think Tyler Buckner will get the opportunity to play or will they play it safe with Drew Pine next season? There's a lot to unpack there because it's a really good question, as are all the questions really good. Uh, <laughs> I have to make sure I have six grandkids. I can't say one is doing great. They're all great. Uh, <laughs> and they really are. Uh, but, you know, Dan well, Rio, Orlovsky, Rio, Rio's the best. Rio's the best. Rio's, Rio is uh, the six-year-old. That's Tyler's favorite. He came into the office and spent time with Tyler and told Tyler that he loved him. <laughs> That's right. In a purely platonic uncle-type way. So Back to uh, the question. Sorry. Okay, back to the question. Dan Orlovsky in the Fiesta Bowl certainly thought Tommy Reese was the guy that should be developing quarterbacks by calling Notre Dame's offense. He is a big fan. Um. You know, when you look at the track record, you can see, I can see why people would ask the question because Ian Book left a better quarterback. You know, he came in a three-star. He became a fourth-round draft choice. Three-stars don't, quarterbacks typically don't turn into fourth-round draft choices. Um, and Jack Cohn was better at Notre Dame than he was at Wisconsin. He was a better quarterback. The, the real, I think, litmus test for Tommy is going to be Tyler Buckner. I think that's going to be where we can really judge his development because you can look and say, well, how come he didn't develop Brandon Wimbush? How come he didn't develop Phil Jakovic? So I think you can make points on both sides there. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to be open to it. I, I think part of what, you know, I don't think the portal really has anything to do with it. Um, you know, we're in a position where everybody's quarterbacks are transferring. I think the thing that probably hurt Notre Dame's lineage with all this and why they had to go to the portal was the cycle with Brendan Clark. Uh, I don't know what Brendan Clark would have turned into had he been healthy um, and been able to develop fully. I mean, would he have been able to be the starter this year? It certainly looked like there was that possibility. And if he wasn't able to, then shame on Notre Dame for not recruiting better in that cycle. Uh, and, I, and I think they are aiming higher in terms of prospects and they are being more relentless. That's why this 2023 quarterback class is so exciting because I think the four guys that they're interested in are four of the better quarterbacks that Notre Dame's been involved with in the recruiting process in the last six or seven years in terms of landing one. So I think Buckner's really going to be the litmus test for Tommy Reese. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. You mentioned Dan Orlovsky. I think you, I think it was today, maybe. Uh, the days are starting to blur together. He tweeted in, when he was talking about, I think there was a conversation about Caleb Williams um, and Dan Orlovsky chimed in about something about Notre Dame or that Notre Dame he indicated that time but prepare him for the NFL was basically what he said. Yeah. 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 Cause that's what uh, Caleb Williams is looking for someone that can prepare him for the NFL. 
And Bill Dan, Williams' dad is too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Dan Orlowski said that Tommy Reese, I believe this statement was that Tommy Reese is among the top five uh, coaches in college football in terms of getting ready, getting guys ready for the NFL. That, that seems a bit hyperbolic to me, um, but I, I think – I think Tommy Reese is a very bright coach. I, I I actually had an opportunity to spend time in a film session with Tommy Reese and Ian Book um, a few summers ago, um, and it was really impressive. I, I I learned a lot about how Tommy communicates with his quarterbacks. And obviously, it's you don't know how much is like they're putting on for you uh, as because I'm not normally in there. But I, to me, uh, Tommy Reese is a pretty genuine guy. I mean, he is who he is. I think anyone that listened to the Ryan Rosillo podcast um, after his uh, decision to stay at Notre Dame, I, I think probably has a good sense for that. Um, I, I mean, he he's not – and I think you can kind of get a sense for that in just his other media opportunities. He's going to he's gonna put he, – the, the person he's putting forward in front of you is sort of his genuine self. Um, and so I was really impressed in that situation. I think, I think he got a lot out of Jack Cohn. Um, and, and Tyler Buckner is sort of where the rubber meets the road there. I think he's, he's the guy that he handpicked um, sort of picked Tyler Buckner over JJ McCarthy. Who's at, at Michigan, who people have uh, high hopes for. Um, I think JJ McCarthy ended up being higher rated and ranked by the, by some of the recruiting networks. Um, I, I think this coming season, it's Buckner's job to lose. Um, but I, I do think there will be a competition with Drew Pine. Um, I just think that uh, Tyler Buckner will be in a better position to win that potentially. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ 6008. Brian Kelly's successful seasons came with a mobile quarterback, save 2021. Do you expect Reese to continue to go after these guys in that mold, like Deshaun Kaiser and Ian Book? Or will he fit the offense around pro-style dropback passers? Or will they go after the highest-rated quarterbacks regardless of traits? Well, let's look at what they're looking at in the 2023 and 2024 cycles. And more of those guys are um, at least classified by the recruiting services, especially rivals, which we work for, uh, <laughs> as, as uh, pro-style quarterbacks over dual threats. But they're not, you know, what you would say like Mac Jones um, and not that there's anything wrong with him, but, but he definitely is not, he has no dual threat tendencies. Um, when, but he, when you look at this group, Dante Moore is probably the closest to a dual threat quarterback and, and probably Jackson Arnold too. Um, but I think they're listed as pro style. Um, and I think that's, you know, they're going to be pass first elite quarterbacks because they're passing skills. As long as you don't get a statue, um, I think, at quarterback that can't run at all, I think that's what you need. Uh, and I think you can – I mean, Mac Jones showed that you can win a national championship uh, with that, but I think Notre Dame's best chance is somebody that is at least able to keep the defense honest with his running ability. Yeah, I mean, I think the traditional, like – description of a pro style quarterback is a bit antiquated. I think even yeah. like most of, I mean, if you look in the pros, a lot of those, a lot of the best quarterbacks in the pros have, have some running ability and can some escapability in the pocket. Um, now there are exceptions. I think Mac Jones is one of the rare exceptions from the past few years. I mean, even Joe Burrow is a good athlete. 
Um, he can, he can run. He's not, he's not a statue back there. Um, and, and so I, I, I don't, I think it'll be some sort of combination of that. I, I think that most of the guys that Tommy Reese is targeting in the 2023 class are pretty solid athletes though. They'll, they'll still go after guys um, that you would be classified as a pro style quarterback. But I mean, Tommy Reese is sort of, I think I'm pretty sure he said this in the past, unless it was a chip long thing is that we just need him to be able to pick up a few first downs a game. And that's, that's enough. We don't, we don't need necessarily a, a run first guy. So Certainly not Steve Angeli's MO. I don't know that anyone would call him a dual threat quarterback. Um, but I also don't think that Steve Angeli was like the guy that Notre Dame wanted the most at the position either. Um, so I think when you're starting from a point of getting the elite of the elite guys, those guys are going to have some athletic ability and some escapability and be able to make some plays with their legs. Next question is from the message board and it's from RPM912. Assuming all other draft eligible players return, what is your bold prediction for all 11 starters on defense? Okay. Well, for the defensive line, I'm going to give you the two deep just because they are so uh, much a part of what they do on the defensive line. So I would how, go. How bold of you? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's so bold. Uh, Foskey, Jason, Adam Malola, Cross, and Justin Adam Malola would be my starters. My backups would be Botello, Mills, Lacey and either Osafa Mensa or Aaronsberger. Um, you know, there's some good freshmen. Maybe Tyson Ford gets into the two deep if he comes in. Uh, you know, Aiden Gobira, I think they're high on, but there's a lot of Viper defensive ends of Foskey's back. Linebackers. I think um, they're going to go with kind of a tag team at middle linebacker of Bertrand and Bauer. I think it'll be Leah, Leah with Collie backing him up and maybe Sneed trying to get in there. And then at Rover, it'll be, if you say everybody coming back, it'd be Kaiser and Pryor with Nolan Ziegler, kind of the up and comer. And I think the up and comer at middle linebacker is uh, Joshua Burnham in the uh, defensive backfield, Houston Griffith, Ramon Henderson, Cam Hart, and Clarence Lewis. Yeah, I, I'm pretty similar there with you. I, I don't know what it would be considered bold. I think the boldest thing I have was I put Riley Mills as the strong side defensive end um, starter. That's that's I like that. Um, I, I like it too. That's why I did it. <laughs> But so that I think that's probably the boldest prediction I have out of, out of the thing. Everything else. If Rubio's ready to play, I like that move. It, I, that, that's uh, pretty straightforward. Jack Kaiser, Rover, uh, JD Bertrand, a middle linebacker, Maris Leafau at will linebacker. Um, the other linemen, Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamalola, and Howard Cross at nose guard. Um, and then corners, same as this year, Clarence Lewis and Cam Hart. Although we'll see if they can get a corner grad transfer that maybe could be a starter there. Um, but that's impossible to predict at this point. Um, and then if we're not talking about any transfers at safety, um, I went with Ramon Henderson next to DJ Brown. Um, I still like what DJ Brown can do. I, Houston Griffith as a starter was sort of strange to me. It seemed like he was, he was out there, but then he was, they would rotate him off the field a lot. And I'm just not exactly sure what they were getting out of him at this, at the, strong safety position, although I think they, I think they technically do field and boundary safeties, but um, 
I'm curious how that how that develops. I think Ramon Henderson is the free safety, and this, this the the strong safety is something that I have less confidence in. So I went with a bold take of DJ Brown. Uh, next question is from the message board from Hond. Where do you see the offensive line going headed into 2022? Does Blake Fisher stay at right tackle, and has Rocco Spindler's time come? What impact does Jeff Quinn's transfer, or not Jeff Quinn, <laughs> Quinn Carroll's transfer to Minnesota? Yeah, it just said Quinn, so my instinct was to say Jeff Quinn, but Quinn Carroll's transfer to Minnesota. Okay, um, let, let's assume it's Harry Heastan. Harry Heastan is definitely, and, and Jeff Quinn did this too, but certainly Harry does, best five play. doesn't matter what position you played in high school, best five are going to play on the field. And his best five may be different than Jeff Quinn's best five. But I am going with Fisher at left tackle. This is a Patterson comes back. Fisher at left tackle. Christophic at left guard. Um, Patterson at center. Joe Alt at right tackle. And a fight to the finish, a cage match between Rocco Spindler and Josh Lug at right guard. If Patterson does not come back, I'm going Fisher and Rocco on the left side, all and Lug on the right side, and Christophic as the center. I think he will beat out Zeke Corral. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll answer the Quinn Carroll question or Jeff Quinn question later. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm, I like Joe Alt at left tackle. Um, I know that may – Blake Fisher fans uh, may be disgruntled by that, but – I, I like what he does at that left tackle position. I like what Blake Fisher can do at right tackle. So that's my projection as of now. Obviously, I wouldn't be opposed to it being flipped. Um, left guard, Andrew Kristoffic. If Patterson's back, obviously, he would be the starter at center. And then right guard, Josh Lug. If Patterson isn't back, I think it's it's a matter of, is Zeke Carell a better center than Rocco Spindler is a guard? Um, and so you could have... Andrew Kristoffic as the center and Rocco Spindler at guard, or you could have um, Zeke Carell at center with Andrew Kristoffic at guard. I think those are sort of the, the decision. You got some talented guys like Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody that would start for a lot of people next year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild that, uh, when you're talking about guys sort of, I mean, I started the conversation by naming the tackles and those are guys that are true freshmen right now, but those are the guys you, I think you have the most confident. Of, okay. Those are your, those are your tackles. What's next, which uh, I can imagine would be something that Harry, he would be looking forward to having the opportunity to coach in those guys. Um, as for Quinn Carroll, I don't think his transfer has much impact. He was sort of buried and hadn't been able to make strides. Uh, maybe that could have changed, but he was already behind the younger guys. Like we were talking about, I, he was technically a tackle, but I think they looked at him at guard. I just don't know where he would have ended up in this offensive line next season. In, in his defense, he took a long time to come back from a freshman year knee injury. Yep. And he may be pretty good at Minnesota. He was a top 100. He was a rivals 100. See, I'm learning the terminology. He was a rivals 100 <laughs> guy coming out of high school. So there's, there's some potential there if he can get healthy. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Do you have any insight into cornerback development? Was there no one who could substitute for Clarence Lewis for one series so he could reset himself? His body language got worse as the day went on. Any chance Cam Hart will switch back to the boundary next year? 
I think that's going to be a decision for the new defensive coordinator and, and um, you know, as far as, but, but as far as why wasn't there, I think that's a great question, Marie, because there are a lot of cornerbacks on the roster and Tyler brought up earlier that Ramon Henderson did get moved out of that depth. And so really your guys were what Riley and uh who am I missing there? Ryan, Ryan Barnes. Ryan Barnes. Right. Riley and yeah, Barnes. Yeah, they were the, they were backups at practice at the Fiesta Bowl. Obviously, Caleb Offord, I think, was still on the roster at that point. He's transferring out. Caleb Offord was never going to get in the two deeps. Right. So, no how long he stayed at Notre Dame. It just wasn't going to happen for him. Uh, but those other two, you know, when you think about some of the other, you know, JoJo Johnson, who was hurt this year, uh, Chance Tucker, um, you wonder how those guys come along. You know, the thing that was interesting about Mike Mickens at Cincinnati was he he was really good at identifying talent, um, and he was really good at developing young cornerbacks. And he himself was a guy that developed very young. He was an impact from a freshman on at Cincinnati. And maybe it was just maybe Notre Dame playing a little bit different on defense than he was used to. Um, I still think he's a really good developer, but he's going to have to show it next year. The cornerback has got to improve and and not just with the starters, with the backups. Yeah. I mean, Mike Mickens clearly isn't afraid to play young guys. So he, in my opinion, he, he felt strongly that they weren't ready to go out there. I mean, Ryan Barnes got in there for maybe a snap or two, when Cam Hart came off the field, um, but I, I, he didn't trust those guys. Now, does, is that on him to not have them in a position by the end of the season to be able to play? S- certainly, uh, he ha- has a role in that. But um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure uh, how Clarence Lewis had such a just a poor game. I mean, he he really struggled. Uh, I mean, that's probably one of the worst cornerback performances that I c- I can recall. From the time that I've Notre Dame, I, I Gary Gray has that. Yeah, beat. I I have an idea. Yeah, I don't think I was technically on the beat when that happened. Um, but uh, Tommy Reese was playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in terms of the the boundary thing, that thing, that whole discussion and the reasoning behind that switch perplexes me. Cam Hart has not been able to explain it to me when I've asked him about it. Um, and he, he's almost like, I don't know why you guys care so much about it. He doesn't say it in those words, but it's sort of like the, the, sort of what I'm reading between the lines about it. He's like, I just play wherever they put me. And I, I think I, I can play both sides well. So, um, and I didn't get a chance to talk to Mike Mickens when he spoke to the media um, in December. Um, I was talking to someone else while he was, while he was available. But um, like, like I mentioned earlier, losing Ramon Henderson to safety hurt that, that cornerback depth, but not being able to have Philip Riley or Ryan Barnes ready um, prevented them from having really any other options besides Tariq Bracey at cornerback in the starters. And I think some of it is the recruiting at safety and cornerback positions, other than, you know, Kyle Hamilton was an outlier, hasn't been great. You know, you look at the starters, the three guys that are playing, you have three-star wide receiver Cam Hart, three-star Clarence Lewis, and I'm not sure if Bracey was a three or four star, but I mean, he was more known for being a running back in high school than he was a cornerback. Um, and then, you know, safety, you have the top five, five safeties in that game were all former something other positions. Although right. Tyler will argue that Houston Griffith was a safety from the start. 
Um, <laughs> I believe Rivals had him as a safety. But but um, I think the good news is you you see, at least in the cornerback class, I think Jaden Mickey is a guy that's going to impress Benjamin Morris and Jaden Bellamy. Then you look at the 2023s, and they're really stepping it up. They got two good safety um, commitments so far in Peyton Bowen and Adon Schuler. And Justin Rett is an elite cornerback uh, prospect. So, I mean, it's not just about development. It's also about getting better material in the back end consistently beyond Kyle Hamilton. Next question is from at Buster Biven. Were Xavier Watts and Deion Colsey injured for the Fiesta Bowl? If not, the snap distributions at safety and wide receivers seem almost unconscionable. They both played. Um, I think Colsey got a uh, penalty at some point. And Xavier Watts had a tackle. I didn't, uh, Tyler, I think you're tracking their reps more than I, I am uh, and so forth, but they did both play if that's the question. Yeah, no, yeah, they played, but I, I think maybe what, I think he was curious, like, were they nursing something? I, I haven't heard of anything to indicate that was the case. Uh, I'm not really sure why Deanne Colsey didn't play more. Um, I think Xavier Watts had some, maybe some coverage miscues when he was out there. And so they said, all right, we can't afford to put Xavier back out there. I think that was maybe what happened. Um, but uh, I think that clearly they just weren't – Notre Dame wasn't confident in those guys to to come through for them. And now, obviously, the guys that they had out there ahead of them weren't weren't able to to come through enough in the fourth quarter. And I think we're just getting gassed. I mean, they just um, – I mean, those guys aren't necessarily going to admit it in terms of being tired or worn out, but – it was pretty obvious by watching um, some of the body language after plays of how tired some of those guys were. And it's hard to blame them. They were playing a lot of snaps. I think it's, I don't remember if it's the, I think it's the, is the offense or the defense. One of them had 91 snaps and that is yeah. high. Um, I mean, I mean, 70 is a pretty high snap game. 90 is, is incredible. Um, so I think uh, it, it's, it's only natural that those guys got worn out and Notre Dame's lack of depth at some of those positions, which had been sort of, I think it was Notre Dame's offense because it was 68 pass plays, and I think it was around 23 run plays. Okay. All right, next question. We have two more questions. We're almost done. I know it's a long podcast, but you guys had lots of uh, questions for us, so we wanted to get to as many as we could. This one is from Christine Ortega at Christine O-N-D. What happened with Sebo Flemister this year? Was he injured, suspended both? Any chance he returns in 2022? Okay, I went and looked at the numbers. Notre Dame ran 89 plays on offense, and Oklahoma State ran 95. So both answers would have been right. So <laughs> what was the question that I just missed when I was looking that up? Okay, Christine Ortega uh, at Christine O-N-D asked, what happened with Sebo Flemister this year? Was he injured, suspended both? Any chance he returns in 2022? He got in some trouble, minor trouble with the law. Um, in the spring slash summer, I remember talking to Brian Kelly about it and him saying, you know, it's really no big deal. There's, we will not have additional disciplinary action, nor will the school. And then all of a sudden he misses the first four games. And in um, Notre Dame's handbook, there, I think there's only one thing where you get a third of your season removed, and that's for um, multiple violations of a certain code um, and that would have nothing to do with the tra traffic accident 
Um, but, or not traffic accident, traffic incident. It was a, I think he abandoned this car. I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it, it was minor. Yeah, so, I think uh, the, the car the car was like crashed into a median. Um, and he left it. He not, left not it. Like, I don't think it was a car accident. Yeah, yeah, it was a single car accident. I don't know that the car was in that bad of shape, but he did abandon it, which um, I think people might have not supposed to do. Why? Yeah, yeah, why he would. But he, he, the legally, I mean, he came through it with, you know, if you keep your record clean, he's yeah, a free yeah, trial version. version. So, so something else certainly happened with him that caused him to be suspended early in the year. And then when he came back, um, it didn't seem like things were ever smooth. You know, there was one game, I think it was a Virginia Tech game. He got left back and he was healthy. And that was the game where Logan Diggs uh, came to the forefront and had to play some major uh, minutes in that game. So uh, I, given all the trouble, even though it's a new coaching staff, I don't think he's back. And honestly, I don't think he's better than the guys they have. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think that Audrey Estime could be a more physical runner, even though Osibo Fumistry is a very physical runner, but I think that's sort of Audrey Estime's forte as well. So I think he's probably gone. I'd be surprised if he came back. I think there was talk of him having some sort of a rib injury late in the season as well. Um, yeah, he was injured late in the season, both for senior day and, and Stanford in the bowl game. Yeah, and I mean, he was announced as unavailable in those early season games, but he was on the sidelines, so that means he didn't have COVID. Um, so that's a little bit of a giveaway that there's something else going on there. The last question we have is from the message board, uh, bare hands 6410. What is the plan for VIP content on the insider lounge? It appears to be just a place to post public reports at the moment. I would like a glimpse into what is planned for this site moving forward. Well, I, I think bare hands were open to what it's going to be moving forward. You know, um, Message board is not something we had at the South Bend Tribune, although we were close to having one at one point. So we don't have a lot of experience with it. You know, I tried to research and look at message boards before we took the job. We didn't have a lot of time for that. But uh, I did kind of get into the rhythm and see what other people did, what I liked about what they did, what they didn't like. It seems like the recruiting writer, um, tends to be the guy that interacts most with the people in it. We haven't hired our recruiting writer yet. Um, so that's going to be coming, but, you know, um, I think at some point when we get through this burst of breaking news constantly and we can um, settle in a little bit more, we'd like to get ideas from you people, you guys and girls, um, gals, what, uh, you would like to see from it because we're open. It could be something completely different than what the old owners have. It can be a little bit different than what we had in mind. So again, we're open to your suggestions and we'll have maybe kind of a give and take online. You know, we try to do that a little bit on New Year's Eve. Um, we're introducing ourselves and so forth. And uh, I think some people, we're doing what people do on New Year's Eve, typically. Uh, and, and so we thought, well, you know what, there's probably a better day to do this. And, and again, you know, we're just kind of getting used to things. But as I mentioned before, the best is yet to come. 
and we want your input into this. We want sincere input. If you just want to complain, you know, I've got, I, I raised two teenagers. I already went through that phase, but if <laughs> you have legitimate ideas uh, and you say, boy, this, I think this is a great idea. I'm, I'm certain open to it. We're going to bring our strengths too from what, what we had at um, ND Insider and that's great reporting, context and perspective. We're gonna do more deep dives than probably what you're used to in certain things. And we're gonna have a certain standard of reporting that we're not gonna get away from. You know, I'm gonna be doing regular live chats. Um, and that's something where, you know, if you didn't get your question answered on the message board, you can certainly ask me in a chat and there's lots of other people asking great questions. Um, and then we're going to answer questions on our podcast. We do that every week. In fact, Tyler begs for questions some weeks. <laughs> uh, so the, I'm really excited about what it's going to be, but we want your input uh, in that process. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces right now. We're trying to keep up with as much news as going on with, with the two of us. I mean, we're trying to get to as much as we can um, and have a pulse on everything that's going on, but we also aren't going to put ourselves in a position to report things that we can't confirm. And if there's, if there's reports out there, like I think I, I put a message board post on there previously, sort of just to kind of clue people in maybe that weren't used to how we operate. Like if, if someone's going to report something, we're, we're going to be aware of it. Like there's not stuff that's being reported elsewhere that we're usually not aware of. Um, but there's not always, we don't necessarily always have confirmation um, to the extent that we're feel, we feel comfortable with putting that information out there. Um, we could be preparing information um, for a story um, based on some other piece of reporting that we're getting um, to, to sort of go a bit further than what maybe has already been reported elsewhere. I mean, we would like to be first in situations, but we'd also, I mean, we want to be right, first of all. Um, and if we're not first, we want to give you more information that you haven't gotten elsewhere or more insight into something, more research, um, find different ways to come at the topic rather than just tell you, well, we think this is going to happen in two days um, because sometimes it's not going to happen. And we don't, we would like to eliminate the amount of times that we say something's going to happen, that it doesn't happen. That's not something that we're interested in, in, in doing. Now, if we're talking about predicting where a recruit's going to go, that's, that's a different story or even predicting like, okay, is Isaiah Foskey going to come back to Notre Dame or not? My prediction is yes, he will come back to Notre Dame. Um, but I, I don't, we're trying to strike the right balance of being able to like tell you guys what we're thinking, um, but while also be doing the reporting that we need to be doing. And so um, we, we will get this all figured out and it will be probably a better product than it's been. But I think um, if you're looking in the right places, and I know like some of that has been discussed in the message boards, like, okay, where do you put the post? Why are you sticking threads? Why? why? So we're trying to figure out the, what works for us, but what also works for you. Um, I think the thing that you as a subscriber, you're probably not going to be able to change like the reporting standard that we hold ourselves to. Like that is something that is that we're not going to bend on. Um, but we are willing to sort of give you information in ways that we feel that we're comfortable with giving you that information and figuring out the best way to do that is sort of a work in progress. Um, so bear with us. I mean, we we hope that people give us a chance to prove to them that um, our content is worth sticking around for. Um, and we know that there are other competitors in the market. We think it's okay to have subscriptions to multiple sites. And if you go somewhere else, I mean, that's fine. We're not going to hold any grudges against you either. Um, but we, we think that we are going to have a great product and, uh, that's why we, we made this move and we 
um, expect it to be a long-term success for us. So um, hopefully people start to agree with us besides just ourselves. Um, that, that, that's it. For my the- mom agrees. <laughs> oh, my mom does too. Uh, that's it for the debut episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. Sorry for being so long. It will not be this long normally. This is a, a an extremely long one. Um, this one, Tyler talked too much. Yeah, I talked too much and, and, and put too much questions on the agenda. But um, we wanted to get the ball rolling. Keep an eye out for us posting when the feeds get added to the various podcast podcast platforms, like I mentioned earlier. Until then, stick with Inside ND Sports for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs.